Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Hi, I'm Lot, Lady of Tarth, hyphen post on Tumblr. I'm joined with YD. Hi, this is YD. You can find me at Yellow Delaney on Tumblr. Chicky. Hey, this is Chicky. I am Chickern on Tumblr. Kama. Hi, this is Kama, and you can find me at Grammar Saves Lives on Tumblr. And our guest uh, is the lovely Clotho. Hi, I'm Clotho, and you can find me at Clotho Spindle, Spindle on Tumblr. Great. Yay! Um, we're covering Game of Thrones, Season 3, Episode 2. Dark Wings, Dark Words. I was inspired by YD having the title last week. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'll go to the extra effort and figure out what the hell this episode is called. <laughs> Just so, so much you- extra effort. And Wikipedia. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> I'm a very busy lady. Anyway. I don't <laughs> Uh, so yeah spoilers all for everything with this podcast and there will always be the potential for rape discussion because it is game of thrones so a little warning there as well um we're gonna start this episode with bran he's having a green dream um he's attempting to shoot the three-eyed raven with an arrow john and rob are there to laugh him on as he misses and we even hear ned's voice somewhere off floating off in the trees when bran looks back we see jojen um and he's there and he tells him the raven is you so i can't kill him when bran awakes he's with hodor rickon their wolves and osha she's creeped out by his dreams and wants to keep moving do you notice all these people are dead except osha and hodor so almost all but three to be like Hodor's dead (laughs) almost all but three (laughs) coincidence man I'm done (laughs) I can handle Shireen I can handle Stannis but if they kill Hodor my god it's over it's over game over Hodor it's It's funny that they never did bring back Sean Bean right I mean, like, they use his voice in this. It's like, it's funny they never actually brought him back for one of these dream sequences. What's confusing is they had that whole thing about how they were never going to do flashbacks. They were never going to do dreams. Except for Bran. Except for Cersei. (laughs) You never got that limitation. It seemed an odd one, but okay. Well, it's like it's a fantasy series. Why are you drawing these arbitrary lines about what fantasy you will and won't show? It's yeah. a strange decision to I try to make. Another, another lame way to try to explain, you know, a weird choice they made. Yeah. yeah, I think so. That is a good point. This was a great little scene, though. It was cute. It was mm-hmm. good to see the brothers back together. It was everything. nice. Yeah. yeah, it was nice to see Bran's natural hair or the actor's natural hair. <laughs> I forgot it looked like that. <laughs> Where there was this middle-aged lady hair, yeah. Yeah. He was cute. He was so cute. Okay. He was cute. All right. Moving on to the next scene is Talisa and Rob. They're making out when interrupted by Bruce Bolton um, with letters from River Run and Winterfell. Um, and Lady Catelyn's receiving news that her father is dying. And Rob also tells Catelyn about Winterfell, how it's been burned, and there's no word from Theon. And 
Speaking of Theon, he's not in a good place. He is tied to his X cross thingy and being tortured. The St. Andrew's cross, yeah. Mm. Oh, God. The beginning of the torture porn. It's so funny, you know, when this season first aired, when season three first aired, people were really complaining about some of these Theon torture scenes, and I was all right with, like, this first episode, and I think through the second episode. I don't... How much did it bother you guys watching this torture bit? Not the the initial... Well, like you, I mean, I, I didn't have a huge issue with the initial scenes. I think that it was just overdone by the end. I think it was really, really gratuitous. And you know what was interesting to me is, because I watched this set with the commentary, um, and the commentary was with Vanessa Taylor, who was the writer of the episode, and also mm-hmm. Daniel Minahan, who was the director, as well as um, Jack Gleason and Natalie Dormer. And mm-hmm. it was interesting to me to hear Vanessa Taylor say in the commentary that they... Um, it was something, the torture was something that she brought up with David, Dan, and Brian Cogman many times, that she thought it was too much. Um, you know, she said, I thought maybe we could talk to him less, but no one agreed with her. So, oh. it's not just us <laughs> that thinks that. Well, you know, well, I was definitely in the camp, you know, I was in the camp the first time around when I watched it, I was in the camp of, I don't like this, it's too much. But oddly enough, when I rewatched it, I was like, wow, this is kind of refreshing. It's not this good. <laughs> so I think I'm just going to We've seen worse now, sorry. You know, this is my first time watching it. Are you serious? I pretty much skipped over. I think I saw the this episode. I think I saw the first scene, and after that, I checked out because I'd read the books wow. and I didn't want to go there. I am like, oh. um, I don't know. I think I'm. I think up. there's. I'm so desensitized to it. I've been like watching this kind of shit since I was four years old. So. It didn't really affect me, but I know I'm not the norm, and I don't fault anybody for having issues and problems with it. Yeah, well, I don't either. I mean, it it certainly is very graphic. I mean, I I guess my opinion to begin with was, you know, I kind of understood why they were trying to show this, since they were were keeping Theon in the middle of the storyline, whereas, you know, in the books, he checks out for two books. Like, we have no idea what's going on with Theon. We don't even know if he's alive. Um, and so I kind of got it. I was like, well, if you're going to show him, I guess this is what's happening. So, I mean, I was like, mm. fine with, you know, like an episode or maybe two of, of you know, showing, mm-hmm. it, you know, exactly what's going on. But yeah, it, it definitely does. From yeah. here, it gets worse. That's I'm, exactly, I'm okay. That's exactly I, what I thought. I honestly feel like they could have had the two scenes of torture in this episode and then maybe another brief one later on. And then, as Jiki was saying, to keep Theon in the story, they could have kind of checked in with him over the course of the season, maybe showing him injured and, and kind of fading away, I guess, like he does in the books. Um, but I just think it's, you know, it got to the stage where it was really just torture porn. I mean, it was, I think it was just got really gratuitous. It really was unnecessary to show Theon as becoming broken. I think it could have been done in other ways. Yeah, I mean, you got to think of it. There's an, I think it's the next time he's on where he gets uh, the sort of fake out that Ramsey does. Mm-hmm. I, I watched that. I think I did see this very first scene and then I was just like, you know what? I, I can't go here. I found the books, the scenes in the book are really hard to get through and that's after. And yeah, so I just couldn't. Memory, really. <laughs> so yeah. this is going to be interesting for me. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you know, you have to think of the alternative too. Like, if I, I get, yeah, you're right. I mean, it was a bit gratuitous. If they had just done a little tiny bit and then had cut away, and then we had Reek emerge, they could have done it. I think it would have been just as impactful. You didn't need to see it. Yeah, 
I yeah. see. Although I have to say, I like the way that they did this. I kind of actually like the way that they introduced Ramsey since they hadn't introduced him in mm. season two. Um, I kind of like this little deception thing that they did. I thought it actually worked fairly well. I did too. I thought it was quite effective. I thought it was a good way because obviously in the books he's introduced earlier in the piece and mm-hmm. um, they didn't do that for some and, reason. But yeah, it worked fine. And it's fairly evident. I mean, I think the very first time we hear about him that he is a scary piece of shit. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think anyone has anything kind to say or admirable to say anything about Ramsey long before we meet him. So we're already predisposed to. Mm-hmm. So they want a different direction. And, I, you know, I think that's perfectly valid. Um, I hope the casting was good. I'm just not looking forward to episode after episode of bits of the yeah. ending. We've got a whole know? bunch more to go, don't we? <laughs> it's just the beginning. Yeah, we do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Okay, let's go and do a happier scene. And it's Yay! Jamie and Brienne scene. Thank the gods. <laughs> what? what? I don't know where these people are. It has been 10,000 years. <laughs> it, has, it actually has been. So it's, uh, oh god, this scene with Brienne's like awkwardly climbing out of that hedge. <laughs> it's like the most <laughs> awkward scene ever. <laughs> Oh, wait, around in that armor. Oh, I can God. never watch that scene and take it seriously. I feel so bad for her. <laughs> uh, they bicker gloriously. Um, we hear uh, insults like humorless mute and toe-headed plank. <laughs> uh, Jamie takes a leak and the insults continue. <laughs> and she just... I love that scene where he takes a leak. Oh, God, that is so good. <laughs> she totally checked out his dick, didn't insane. she? <laughs> Totally. Yeah, yes. <laughs> she did. She did. Uh, Jamie asks if she's uh, uh, served Stannis, and uh, he seems surprised that it was Renly she, in fact, served. Brienne gets testy as he insults Renly, and uh, when he says it's a shame the throne isn't made out of cogs, they'd have never gotten him off it. I still giggle. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a good line. Brienne loses her cool, grabs him by the hair, and tells him to shut your mouth. And they're so close, I just want to smush their heads together. No, kiss! Kiss, goddammit. <laughs> oh, uh, God. I, I think it's... Oh, man. This this entire scene is glorious. <laughs> I love it so much. Um, I really like... I like the both of them in this scene. I especially like Jamie in this scene. And it's... Up until this point, they'd been writing Jamie pretty well, I thought. Um, like, kind of showing how perceptive he is. And you can see that in the way that he immediately um, pegs Brienne. Like, he has this really keen ability to see what people are about and see the weakness in them. And he, boy, does he use that to his advantage. <laughs> like, to hit it where it hurts, really. You know, as you mentioned, he called it a giant toy-headed plank. And he re- makes reference to a height and... You know, he's really perceptive. He's good at people, even if he isn't always good to people. <laughs> um, and then, you know, he immediately recognises that Brienne had feelings for Renly and, and again, uses that to bait her. Um, I think that's, it's a really good characterization of Jamie. Well, it's a really good, it's a really good representation of the relationship of Jamie and Brienne from the books, too. I mean, it's obviously a completely mm-hmm. invented show scene, but they really captured the essence of them. And the other thing that's really impressive about this scene in particular is how much exposition they managed to cram in that you didn't mind yes. at all because it was so well written. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. That is a great point. They did. And I think, you know, that is pretty well reflected in, I guess, another of Jamie's personality traits and the fact that he is, 
he's kind of a curious guy. Like he always wants to know more. <laughs> he and he's especially curious about Brienne. And as you're saying, that kind of plays into being well reflective of, of their relationship in the books. You know, he's fascinated with her from the very beginning, from when they first meet, both the way she looks and about her in general, really. Like to him, she's this anomaly and he wants to know more about her. Um, so yeah, I think it just worked really brilliantly within this scene. This whole scene just was really, really good. There's just so many great lines and like, I, I don't know if you all heard on the news, but did you hear that somebody actually made a throne of cocks? Did you? Thank you for telling us. I sent a Tumblr post. eBay. It was a UK bondage company. Oh my God. It's on eBay. Sorry, did you buy it? No, I'm not. sitting on it right it's now. Oh, it's my wow. podcasting chair. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I'm too late. I was going to bid. It just made oh me think So what you just rewatched with the commentaries? Yeah. You just said? yeah, yeah. I haven't rewatched the commentary since I think it first came out. But you, isn't this the one where, where Daniel Minahan, yeah, he says... An unexpected moment of tenderness between them, foreshadowing what may happen. Ooh. Of course, you know, talking about the little almost piss scene, yeah. right? He wants <laughs> That's to the one, yeah. Their heads um, together they too. were talking uh, about their chemistry and how Gwed and Nick have really amazing chemistry, and uh, Vanessa basically says, you know, it's, it's basically just Nick and Gwen for a lot of it. Like, that is their relationship in real life as well, <laughs> kind of translating to the screen. Awesome. Um, and then about how, how awesome Gwen is, and Vanessa's saying that the Jamie Brienne storyline was one of her favourites in season three. Uh, us too, Vanessa. Yeah. Us too. You can hear it by the glee in my voice. When, when, uh, last week, when you guys were talking, there was a question about, you know, how they were playing Brienne, if she could possibly not have been a virgin. But there was an interview with Gwen, and she mentioned Brienne being a virgin and Jamie only having experience with one woman. And then, you know, I noticed watching these scenes, that I sort of think they're sort of, you know, with his teasing her, they're playing up that aspect. And, you know, for me, I think it's going to be played that way when they bang for the first time. So, I mean, that's sort of going back to last week. But, but yeah. everybody <laughs> wants to watch semi-virginal sex. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> that's so, so really exciting. <laughs> uh, so, eventually, uh, they are interrupted by a farmer leading his horse. Um, Jamie wants her to kill the man. Brienne won't do it. And that ends our scene. Okay, the next one is uh, Cersei and Joffrey. Joffrey is getting fitted for new clothes. He's not loving the fabrics. They talk about Marjorie. Cersei is trying to explain to him Marjorie's manipulations. And Joffrey's just not hearing it. It's kind of interesting watching these scenes with Cersei and Joffrey following the whole Tolman and Marjorie scenes we just got in season I five. Think it's yeah, interesting. it's he's He's being a typical teenage boy. Boy, I mean, a psychopathic teenage boy, but the, you know, the sort of, I'm not listening to you, mom. You don't know what you're talking about. You know, that kind of, but he is taking it in because later on in the episode, he kind of makes some of the same exact points Cersei was trying to make to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as you were saying, Lord, I also got shades of Cersei's uh, scene with woman. With this scene, although I obviously Cersei's a bit less desperate in this one, but, you know, she's uh, making a dig at Marjorie. She's asking Joffrey what he thinks of her. It's very similar to the scene we got last season when she's to- uh, walking and talking with Tommen. And failing both times, just failing to, well, although... It's, it's true. 
some yeah, of it. And as much as I don't miss, you know, Joffrey, uh, Jack Gleason's body language is just perfect. I, I mean, he really him. Jack Gleason is it out of the park. Yeah, we yeah, actually mentioned good. last week how much we missed Jack Gleason. Yeah. And I really felt it this episode. Um, because, you know, with a character like Joffrey, he really could come off as a caricature more than anything, but Jack does such a terrific job with him, you know, of straddling that line between comical and, and realistic sociopathic teen boy. I think he, he really plays it brilliantly. <laughs> yeah, he's perfect. He really is. Um, the next scene is Sansa and Shay. Uh, Shay cautions Sansa about Littlefinger, tells her to let her know if any, if he tries anything. Um, <clears throat> uh, Sir, Lor- uh, Sir Loris arrives to escort Sansa to the gardens to have a visit with Marjorie and Lady Olana. It's kind oh, of weird. God. It was kind of weird, wasn't it? Watching Shay be all protective with Sansa and, I was almost like yearning for Shay. <laughs> I never thought I'd say that. Yeah, I, Shay. <laughs> I enjoy the dynamic between Shay and Sansa. I mean, we did speak last week about, I think Comer and I were saying how we thought it was a little bit unearned how close they've gotten. Yeah. Um, we didn't really see it develop that much on screen, but you know, it is what it is now. And I do enjoy the fact that Shay does feel protective towards Sansa and, I guess, you know, the a genuine female friendship is something that I tend to always enjoy on screen. It's so rare half the time. <laughs> That's sad. <laughs> but can we please talk about Sansa and Loras? Because <laughs> Sophie does such a good job with portraying a teenage girl crush, and it's so much fun to watch. <laughs> like... Um, Loris is kind of just going through the motions and Sansa's, <laughs> it's funny because I, I went back and read the book chapter and it's a pretty similar scene. Um, Loris does come to retrieve Sansa and she does fawn all over him and, um, there's actually one point in the book where Loris takes Sansa's arm and she thinks, I am talking to him and he's touching me. He's holding my arm and Aww. touching me. <laughs> I gotta reread that. Good on George. That's like pretty damn accurate. It's not bad at the teen girl stuff. And it's, it's, it's the same thing that we get with Danny and uh, Dario in dance. Like just how sort of teen girl relationship it is. Yeah, I think he does a good job with oh, that kind of thing. Way to go, George. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Upon meeting Lady Olana, Sansa is treated to um, her insulting red light, Loris, and the fat-headed son. Her hat. Fat edit son mace. <laughs> Over lunch, Lady Olana questions Sansa about Joffrey. Sansa prattles on about Joffrey being handsome and fair, kind of avoiding their questioning. And when Ned is mentioned, Sansa turns on Joffrey, telling them about being forced to stare at her father's head. Uh, Lana and Marjorie push her to go on. Sansa reluctantly admits he's a monster. Mm, yeah, I... <laughs> I thought it was actually pretty reckless for Sansa to just kind of spill her guts to these people that she's literally just met and who she knows very little about. I mean, you know, it is a scene that is in the books um, and most of the dialogue is actually lifted directly from the Sansa point of view chapter in A Storm of Swords, but there are a couple of little differences in the books that make Sansa's behaviour a little bit more plausible. Like, firstly, they, they have a court jester there, Butterbumps. Who is Butterbumps. Yeah, he's like throughout the scene and Elena keeps telling him to kind of sing louder, which kind of gives Sansa this illusion of privacy. Um, But also in the books, we have Sansa kind of keeping up the pretense of Joffrey being a good guy for longer. And Mm. Elena is actually pressing her much harder to tell the truth. Like she's actually all up in her face and she's (laughs) gripping her tight wrist. So, 
yeah, there was sort of like this sense of urgency there and you could sort of understand more why Sansa would kind of just <laughs> relay this information, this really dangerous information that could really get her killed. Whereas in the shows, it just seemed a little bit reckless to me. Yeah. Yeah, and- it, it was a slightly different <laughs> feeling than the book because, well, not just, not just kind of the way that Sansa related, but even, even the show's portrayal of Elena Tyrell is a little different than the books. I mean, mm-hmm. I love Elena Tyrell in the book. She's, she's an amazing and sparkling character, but, you know, I mean, she, she really kind of fucks Sansa over and not kind of. I mean, she totally yeah, does. Totally does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's not, she's not, you know, a really wonderful person like everyone kind of, I think, would like her to be. And I think the show took a little bit different tack on that and has kind of, I mean, even though she does murder Joffrey on the yeah. show, oh, you know, they kind of hot. try to show her as, as a kinder, gentler Olena, as they so often do with these female characters. Yeah. I think you're right. I she's not. Toned yeah. down Olena's character a little bit for the show. But yeah, she's clearly still not, you know, working in Sansa's best interests. It's all, it's all in the, you know, for the Tyrell family. Mm. I, I, I did like, and I think this comes from the books, the story of, uh, Luther Tyrell there in, um, uh, uh, yeah. Hawking accident, his death. Yeah, oh, <laughs> um, it's based on a real guy. Um, Alexander the Third of Scotland apparently was riding his horse in a fog, and the horse <laughs> went off a cliff. So Why are you laughing at that? It's too soon. <laughs> it's too soon, Cloth. Too, too soon. It's too soon. I just think it's cool that it actually happened. <laughs> George knew his history, man. Yeah, he likes to sprinkle his uh, his fantasy with uh, with history. I love that though. That's so That's awesome. Funny. <laughs> what about Cheese Boy? Oh my god, I thought about Aaron. And I saw Cheese Boy. So terrified. As he was staring at Cheese Boy. I rewatched this. I had nostalgia. I had like fandom nostalgia. I'm actually just got a commentary about how the actor was just legitimately terrified. He didn't really need to act. He was so, like, <laughs> He probably was really, like, working for craft services. <laughs> just threw him into the scene. That would have been great. You have beautiful eyes. Was it me, or did the cheese look like like cheese curds? Hey, look, I mean, it did, did look more like a goat or, something or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you used for poutine. I mean, it was very... Yeah. <laughs> no, it's far too wet. It did look like a... Are we spend oh, enough time talking about cheese? <laughs> there is one part in the commentary where um, Elena's telling Sansa that they've heard, uh, you know, all this bad stuff about Joffrey and asking Sansa whether there's any truth to it. Um, and you can hear Jack Gleason in the background whispering, Don't you dare tell them! <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> That's really funny. i got to watch those again. Okay. <laughs> Rob is, uh, oh, next scene. Uh, Rob is taking his men to River Run. Uh, Lord Carr Stark is being a wet blanket about it. He tells Rob he's lost the war the day he married Talisa. Catelyn and is- And he's not wrong. True nope. that. Yep. True that. Double true. <laughs> uh, Catelyn is building her Blair Witch things. Uh, Talisa asks <laughs> if she can help. <laughs> and uh Cat- Catelyn answers only a mother can make them. Uh she's made two before, one for Bran, one for John. Catelyn had prayed that John would be taken by a pox when he was small. Uh she felt so guilty and begged the gods to spare him, but she couldn't keep her promise uh, to ask Ned to oh, make him God. a Stark. Oh, okay, so <laughs> tear into it. 
It's 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 so funny to think that back in season three, this was like one of the most controversial seasons. Yes. <laughs> oh, I know, oh, sweet summer children that we were. It's just I don't I mean, know why they need to do this. Why do you need to explain or or to to deal with Catelyn not liking John? I don't get it. I, I mean, I think they have that virgin whore attitude towards women, with maybe a virgin whore warrior woman. Is acceptable. So you can either have the saintly mother, or you can have the slut, or you can have the warrior woman who's undone by her motherly instincts. And that's it. That is how they see women. Well, that's, I mean, I think what bothered me most about this scene is just the way that the show kind of continued to strip away most of what makes Cutlin Cutlin. Like, and as you're saying, this insistence of yeah, showing her. This insistence upon showing her as only this maternal nurturer type, like, she's sitting there and she's telling this sob story about how she couldn't love a motherless child while she's making this, what is it, a votive, I think they called it? Um, Blair Witch thing for her children. That it's so ugly. That's why it didn't work because it's so ugly. They don't The gods I mean, care about your craftsmanship on those part things. Part of the reason why she <laughs> doesn't like John is he is a threat to her children. If he is legitimized, is he older than Rob? Because I know yeah. the Trueborn has the right. claim, but that starts know. to muddy your succession. <laughs> that is part of the issue. I actually, yeah, I specifically looked that up because I was curious. And, like, GRM said there's really no clear-cut answers about that, even, like, in medieval history, that a lot of times it was, like, case-by-case basis, whether he's so worth that claim. you didn't want this yeah. kind of confusion. You have this kind of confusion. It takes All it takes is somebody ambitious to go, hey, this is what we could do here, and we can make a claim. She, and she would have done that, yeah. yeah. I, and I, I totally, I get why she would not want I mean, that. Here's my thing. I don't think we need to justify. I mean, like Catelyn just didn't like John. I that's mean, what I'm. I that's what I was like, saying. Like, wrong if, with that. That's what yeah, I'm saying. Like, they've taken away m- m- so much of her complexity. They're talking about, they're basically boiling Cutlin down to being a mother, you know? They're, it's all children, children, children for her. But you know what? Cutlin is also a really strong and proud woman, and she has conviction in her beliefs, you know? And yes, she does feel a little bit of guilt about John. There is some point in the book where she reflects upon that briefly. But, as Con was saying, never to the extent that she would offer to legitimise him and risk the inheritance of her children. And I don't understand why we just can't have a woman who is layered, who is flawed. Why do they need to be softened? Why do they need to be reduced to this mother stereotype? That's my thing. I mean, personally, I don't really think there's a good dynastic reason for Catelyn to have been so up in arms about John. I think it was entirely about the fact that he was in her face all the time. I think that's why she didn't like him. And it's like, of course it wasn't John's fault. And I kind of do take the view that, you know, Catelyn was slightly punitive to John. I mean, we see the Blackfish later in Feast, you know, talking to Jamie about John and saying, oh, well, Catelyn's told me all about John and he's a terrible person. I don't want to go to the wall. <laughs> I mean, you know, Catelyn was a little punitive to John, but so what? We are all punitive to people who maybe don't deserve it. I mean, welcome to humanity. Exactly. Catelyn's a human yeah. being. That's, I mean, that's, that's the great thing about Catelyn. She is like one of the most realistic, fully fleshed out women characters in the books. And the show has just destroyed so much of that. Well, and it's like, here you take the time to give her a scene at this point in the show. And this is a time in the books where Catelyn is desperately trying to herd Rob in and to keep the 
you know, basically kind of the, the side of things that are political with what's going on with this war. She's making an attempt to salvage things. And you just don't really get to see any of that on the show. You don't get to see any of what Catelyn really is in the books, which is a player, for God's sake. She plays this game. She's actually, you know, really quite intelligent. She really does have some sound battle strategy. And you're right, we just see so little of it. And the fact that they would waste... I don't know how many minutes on this scene that was wholly unnecessary is really frustrating. Really frustrating. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it just bothers me that they can't just leave her the way that she is. She's a little tiny bit gray. There's like this one area of Catelyn that's gray, and this is pretty much how we have it. (laughs) And they totally whitewashed it right here. It's like a brush and whitewashed it. I mean, like, if we can separate, yeah, okay, it's terrible mischaracterization here in this scene. I do have to give props, though, to Michelle Fairley for playing the scene the way she did. She does really well with what she has. Yeah, she does. I I had feels about John. (laughs) That was pretty (laughs) good. It took Michelle Fairley to make you have feels about I didn't have feels for what about it was, it, it may ha- it may have been effective for what it was, but as a book Catelyn fan, yeah. it is anathema. I hate yeah. this scene. Yeah, right. I mean, Michelle fairly like she. I mean, she kind of sells the moment in a way because she's brilliant, but it's not Catelyn that we're seeing in this scene. Yeah. Okay. Played that one out. Uh, let's go to John and Mance, north of the wall. Um, they talk about how he managed to unite all the clans. Basically, it was the threat of death upon them all if they didn't unite and go okay. south. This is, um, Chicky, this is where I saw the lack of charisma in Mance yeah. talking about last episode. Yeah. There was just oh, this thing. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking that too. I was like, that's not really convincing. Oh, you're going to die. Like, how does that convince anybody? Like, who would... <laughs> Follow me to your deaths or whatever, whatever you like. Yeah. I don't know. Was it Com and I were talking about this last episode? It's you know, it's not that Kieran Hines isn't fabulous. Um, I, I just don't know if it's what the way they were directing it. I mean, the dialogue as it is, it could have been, it could have, it could have gone different directions the in the greatest. way that the scene was actually played out. I mean, it isn't the greatest, but a lot of the times, frankly, their dialogue isn't. Um, it's all in what the talent yeah. does with it a lot of the time to me. And I don't, I just, I feel like maybe they just didn't know what to do with Mance. They didn't know how to direct him in this. I'm not, I'm really not sure. I mean, it's not as though the scene doesn't work at all. It's just exactly what you're talking about, YD and Clotho. Like there is no charisma from Mance. There's nothing that convinces you that this guy could have pulled off what they're telling you he pulled off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think they, uh, they had a bead on what they wanted to do with him. And I think that colored everything. It probably bled down to the directing, to the writing, to the acting, because I don't think they ever really had a sense. Yeah. And I think that's evident by the way they sort of, um, you know, didn't do much with the character, because I think they felt they had to have him maybe to bring in Ygritte, and so they could have John having his little trophy conflict there. But, um Yeah. I don't think they knew what they wanted. Hmm. I agree. Yeah. Well, speaking of, uh, they do meet Mance and John. They meet up with Ygritte and Tormund. Um, they also meet Orel, and John learns what wargs are. Uh, Orel is warged into a hawk who has soared over the fist of the first men, and uh, he's seen dead crows. Uh, the remaining. This is so funny. They 
they hit this whole warg thing really hard back then, which is why it's so odd coming off season five. <laughs> yeah, I, I was setting up for John to yeah. and nothing has eventuated. I was expecting uh, that little whisper of ghost when John was dying at the end of season five. <laughs> no, that was holy. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't feel the fourth knife. Ollie, he whispered. <laughs> oh, God. So romantic. So romantic, this guy would say. Oh, God. I must spit out my tea on that one. <laughs> uh, okay, so the remaining crows, including Sam, are marching back to the wall. He is teased and taunted by Rast. He tells him to go on, lie down, you know you want to. Uh, Gren and Dolores Ed attempt to get him up. Commander Mormont forbids Sam to die. Yeah, you know, I really, <laughs> when I was watching and thinking about this scene, I really didn't have anything particular to say about it. And then I realized why, and it's because it was kind of a nothing scene. Like, I, this does happen in the books in a way. Um, but I think it's one of those book scenes that don't really lend themselves well to adaptation to screen because mm. the point really relies on the internal monologue of the point of view character because, I mean, in the books, um, Sam is stopping and saying that he can't go on, but this is also the point in the books where Sam is recounting what's happened at the Fist of the First Men with the White Walkers, and it's really quite a terrifying story, and they're still being chased by the White Walkers, and... The brothers are being picked off one by one. And we also have Sam kind of reflecting about himself. He's thinking about his home and his mother and his father, who was a coward. And it's kind of like this big jumble of exposition and character insight. But obviously, we didn't really get any of that in the show scene. So mm-hmm. didn't I think-, think part of the problem with this scene is it kind of you just touched on it. There just is no urgency in the way that it was directed. And... I know they shot this in Iceland, so maybe they had restrictions um, on what they could do. I think they were... Is this when they were on the glacier or they're right next to a glacier? I don't know. But just the way that it was directed, you kind of feel removed from the action. Yes. I don't know. Even the weather itself... Yeah, even the weather itself wasn't threatening at all. Like, it would have been nice to have a bit of a storm or some some kind of sense of element of danger. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You're right, you're right. You feel removed from the action because, you know, there's no actual story being told, really. Um, You know, there's no character building. There's no real plot progression. It wasn't really anything for the viewer to sort of sink their teeth into, I think. It's a check-in. You can tell it's, it's a check-in. It's a check-in. Just yeah. sad, too. What's happening with the brothers? Oh, that's yes. pretty much. It's, it's like, you put this up against, like, say, that early scene with Jamie and Brienne, where it's like, all oh, this exposition, and it is a check-in as well, but it's so something well out of it. Yeah. It's, but, it's, it's greater than the sum of its parts, essentially, and that is, yes. we're getting the opposite of that in this scene. Yeah. Yeah, meanwhile, Sam and the boys are just on a really shitty hike, and I don't really care. <laughs> Pretty much. Okay, so uh, Bran uh, is in the next scene, and he awakes to Summer growling. Osha leaves to hunt, or seems to leave to hunt. Uh, Jojen approaches Bran. Summer growls some more, and Osha reappears, pointing her spear at Jojen's neck. Mira holds her blade to Osha. Jojen approaches Summer. She sniffs him. He seems cool. Jojen tells Brandy <laughs> and Mira have come a long way to find him, and they have a long way to go. Oh, so man. the the Reed kids. I, I liked yeah. the intro. I mean, obviously it's a little different in the books where they still meet Bran when they're still at Winterfell. Um, <laughs> i got to say, it was, ti- it was a tiny bit cheesy the way Jojen kind of comes slowly walking out of the mist. <laughs> 
It's like they really had the mist machines going. Um, but, you know, it, it sort of lent itself to that kind of fantastical element, which, it, you know, it works okay. Yeah, um, the forest was eerie as hell. I thought it, it was I, eerie, I, yeah. <laughs> And I like the locations in general in this whole season. I have to say that, like, I loved, yeah. I thought it was a perfect setting and they did a good job with their mm. scouting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I was confused when I saw, I remember watching this the first time going, why is Mira being played by a 35 year old? And I know she's not, but. <laughs> I, I mean, he looks so young. He looks like he's 12. Yeah. I mean, well, that's, just... that's, uh, Thomas Brody Sangster, yeah. who was the yeah. little boy in Love yeah. Actually. He never not ate that young. He never but ate it's, This is the start of some really, you know, these people Did any are of... older than they, yeah. Did any of you Americans and Australian watch, uh, Ready or Not? Do you, do you guys get that? It's a Canadian program. So, no. I think so. Um, it's like middle school kids, you know, going through puberty. The she reminds me of the one of the main actors on that busy. Anyway, for anybody that may have watched Freddy like, or not. It's like my Canadian reference to spell flat. Moving on. We're like, if it's not grassy, we don't know. <laughs> yeah. Also oh, very good. Both are good. Check them out if you get a chance. They're all on YouTube. Okay. We are now sponsored by Degrassi. <laughs> and ready or not, she said. <laughs> all right. So uh, next scene is Gendry, Hot Pie, and Arya. Um, they're walking through the woods. Gendry is a bit critical of her three Jack and kills. Um, Arya tells them he got them out, didn't he? Um, she thinks they are lost. She wants to find the river to lead them to River Run. They hide when they hear Thoros singing Rain's Castamere. It does them no good. They are found by the Brotherhood, and all three are forced to leave with them. So what happened oh, to I these guys Arya anyway? I, I know! Hot yeah. pie! I thought Chloe Thoe gave this little squeal when Lot said hot pie. She's like, hot pie! <laughs> I love this. And I, loved, I, I actually love that they included Gendry giving Arya a hard time about the yes. who, she, who she had assassinated, which is such a common book reader complaint. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in the book, she actually does reflect on that. Like, Arya herself kind of thinks so yeah. at one point, you know, oh, why didn't I get duck into kill? <laughs> you know, people of consequence. I mean, you can't expect a child to have a, you know, an understanding of the geopolitical conflict and to know who the right players were to kill. I don't know. I think she probably could have killed Tywin. <laughs> it would have helped. Well, yeah, I mean, that might have worked. But still, I mean, I get why she didn't. You know, I don't have a problem with that in the books. And well, it's yeah, it's tricky to say. It's something that greatest. Well, there are there are twenty five year olds on Tumblr who don't know how to vote in the U S presidential election. So I don't know why we expect a twelve year old kid to be able to know who's in charge. Once again, America, I love you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tyrion. Tyrion returns to his father's quarters to find Shay there. Um, he's afraid for her safety. Shay is afraid for Sansa. Did I just say he returns to his father's quarters? No, no, no. Because this is new digs. Uh, he's afraid for her. Yeah. He's afraid for her safety. Shay is afraid for Sansa. Uh, mentions Littlefinger. The conversation turns to Ross. She gets jealous. Tyrion smooths it over. Shay was told not to trust Littlefinger. <laughs> Tyrion has this line. He says, any idiot in a village would know that pretty much. <laughs> 
Ned. <coughs> Shay wants to protect Sansa. Tyrion tells her they can't. A great beauty like her will have many suitors. And then she gets all jealous again. And then she gives him a blowy. Oh, man. <laughs> you know what was interesting to me is in the commentary, um, Vanessa Taylor talks about how they tried to make Shay's character more layered than her book counterpart. And uh, they wanted to make her motives a bit more ambiguous to make her a little bit more conflicted, which, you know, mission accomplished. But, <laughs> you know, th- to then have Shay meet the same end, uh, <laughs> it didn't yeah. really have any sort of payoff. So they tried. <laughs> I-, I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I mean, that's my thing. Go ahead, Coltho. No, I was just going to say that, like, I was going to make a smart remark about Peter Dinklage's uh, sappy accent. Every time he's in a scene with Shay, oh. his <laughs> voice is great. So I didn't notice until watching, you know, seeing him in the recent seasons without her, oh. and then going back, like, oh, God, I can't stand it. So I was like, I hope he doesn't fall in love with anybody else. Like, no Danny, <laughs> nobody. Please, no. What was the line we had? Was it back in season two where he's like, Shay, you're beautiful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh God. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so sad. Yeah. You're beautiful. <laughs> Yikes. Dinklage's <sighs> little to listen to sometimes, and particularly with Shay for some reason. I don't know what that's it's hard like. to act when you have a boner, okay guys? <laughs> Give him a break. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, let's go on to Marjorie's scene. <laughs> Marjorie pays a visit to Joffrey. Joffrey is going on a hunting trip and asks if uh, she has everything she needs. The conversation turns to Renly. Marjorie quickly realizes she's on dangerous grounds as he's questioning her. Uh, tells Joffrey Renly was not interested in her, and uh, I guess she seems convincing. Joffrey calls Renly a known degenerate. He's considering making his perversion punishable by, de- punishable by death. Marjorie tells him it's his right, then strokes his bow. She flirts a demonstration of his new weapon out of him, feigns delight, and asks if she can go hunting sometime. And then we get that whole dialogue where it must be thrilling to squeeze the trigger here and watch something die over there. Yeah, so you know, he's loving it. I'm continually impressed by the way that they have fleshed Marjorie's character out, I have to say. Um, mm-hmm. It's something that I think is reflective of her book character, but they've managed to expand her character as well um, in a really sort of natural sort of way. And this scene is so great for her. Like You see just how good a manipulator she is and just how smart she is. I mean, she takes a situation where, you know, it's really dangerous for her. She walks in and there's a crossbow being pointed at her and, you know, that's Joffrey's intention to intimidate her and she manages to turn that around on him um, and turn him on in the process. Like, (laughs) it's a really clever little scene. It's well done. I love how he plays um, the sort of teenage boy there. That whole, like, when Marjorie's talking about Oh, and Renly wanted to do things that sounded very painful and could not possibly <laughs> result in children. You could see Joffrey's like thinking, like, what does she mean? Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> She's into it. Anal. <laughs> it's anal. <laughs> Ew. No, no. I like, I really like it. I like the whole bit. It's though, it's the kind of thing though, and I, they should have had another scene in between this and the purple wedding where the trick is, though, you can do this a few times with the, the crazy, the sociopathic, psychopathic guy, but then there's going to be a point where you can't. You can't turn it. And that sense of danger is never really, 
Like she plays it well here, but is that is that a facade she can keep up for however long she has to? And I think the answer to that is no, because at some point she's going to make the wrong move and she's dead. I mean, yeah, well, you're right. I mean, there's yeah. no way that which is probably why Elena has him killed. But you know. Yeah, there's no way that Joffrey wouldn't eventually, well, I mean, <laughs> maybe not even eventually, but yeah, he's going to tire of that relatively quickly. And yes, you're right, she's going to say the wrong thing at the wrong time and, you know, you yeah. can't control a character like that. No. I always thought it was well, interesting. It. And, and, oh, go ahead, Chicky. Go ahead, Sorry. Oh, oh, no, I was just going to say, we actually... <laughs> go, you we go. actually saw a little bit of this in season five <laughs> when Marjorie actually does let the facade slip finally with Tommen. And, you know, it's going to slip with everyone at some point. And so I think it was a really, this was a really cleverly done scene to, yes, show not only how competent and how good at it she is, but, you know, just the precariousness of the situation. And it really does set up really well the Purple Wedding that's coming. I was going to ask, you have to remind me, um, Joffrey, is he into crossbows and bows in the books? I think Joffrey's probably into things that kill things in the book. Yeah, because isn't he shooting people out a window or or he's, there is like yeah. actually killing people? It's not it's not it's not as well played up as it is on the show, but okay. I think there is one point where he is shooting people with a crossbow. Uh, the perfect weapon for him, like because Jamie's would say the coward. Yeah, weapon. that's yeah. what I was yeah, gonna exactly. say. That's it's a nice opposition. Part, yeah. I, I think he likes anything that can kill people. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I always thought that was an interesting choice. Anyway. Knives and stuff, yeah. Uh, I'm sure someone will write it and tell us if there was. Okay, Theon. We're going to go down to Theon. Uh, his torture continues. Um, they want to know why he took Winterfell, and uh, there's a little more torture, and then they leave him. Um, we see a mysterious sweeper, who's Ramsay. Um, they tell him that everything. Sorry. Hey, I gave the warning. I remembered. Uh, they tell, uh, Ramsay says that his si- sister sent him and that uh, he will, he loosens the corkscrew thingies on his feet and then tells him he'll be back later and Theon begs him not to go. I don't know. What do you say about that? What was it? They cast, they cast Ramsey as the boy. I yes, think, they did. Like, yeah, they did. Yeah. yeah. Um, fandom tripped they, they fairly quick who he was, yeah, but yeah. Hmm. I, I really like this. I really like the way that they played this and that they had, they showed just how devious Ramsey could be. I mean, it's a little bit of a departure from, from Ramsey's book yeah. self, but considering how big a character they've turned Ramsey into <laughs> on the show, this was probably a good way to start. Ramsey's actually the protagonist of Game of Thrones now. Oh God, no. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. That they got the um the mindfuckery of the Boltons. They got that down. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Okay. Uh, Bran and Jojen again. Wow, there's a lot of these. Bran and Jojen discuss green dreams. Uh, Jojen saw Ned die. Um, Bran asks what else he's seen. Only thing that matters, you. Um, I mean. <laughs> Are we all shipping it at this point, or is it just me? <laughs> it's everyone. <laughs> I know there's a huge disparity in the actors' ages, but... <laughs> books well, this is about the start of Bran looking like he's middle-aged, but, so, you know, I don't really have an issue with that, like, but... These have crazy chemistry. Yeah, it's amazing. They, they work yeah. really, really well together. I've got to say, I... I, I was really... Um, well, I didn't tear up, but I was really affected by... Jojen's line when he talks about how his father cried when he heard about Ned's death. I thought that yeah. was really lovely, actually. I'm a sucker for that kind of thing. No, I love that they're in a Howland 
mention here. I wonder if he yeah. really is show up in season six or something. Helen Reyes, did you say? Yeah, Helen yeah. Reyes. Yeah, yeah. You know, mentioning him and talking about him a little bit almost yeah. does feel like... They did. Have we really have we heard anything about him in the intervening seasons? Like I don't know that. No. They've mentioned it. I always first. wonder. Like, is this something that is going to play out in the books? Is um, yeah. at first I thought, oh, is Jojen going to be telling Bran about what happened at the Tower of Joy because he does make reference to it. He says he saw the rebellion. I don't know whether or not that incorporates what happened at the Tower of Joy. Um, and then you know you start. You know, maybe Bran will see it in one of his green dreams. Or maybe, you know, we'll just never find out. <laughs> we'll never find out about John's parentage. No, they won't do that on the John's show. Dead, so. <laughs> yeah, he's dead. He's gone. Oh, yeah. All right. Next Don't scene worry, is... will be back. Uh, Thoros, uh, he's with Arya, Gendry, and Hot Pie, um, discussing their escape from Hall. Arya claims it was Gendry and her abilities with a sword. She pulls her blade on Thoros, who quickly disarms her. Thoros tells the three to eat up before they go. As Arya is pulling at Hot Pie to leave, some brothers bring in a captured hound. Uh, he recognizes Arya when she tries to sneak out, and he says, What in the seven hells are you doing with the Stark bitch? Dum, dum, dum. Bum, bum, bum. You know, the really cool thing about this chapter in the books is that there is a link to Jamie and Brienne's story. I don't know if you remember, Chicky, but this is the inn that Jamie and Brienne stopped at in one of Jamie's earlier chapters. I think it's Jamie 2. 2. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Inn of the Kneeling Man. Um, and there you've got the innkeeper um, talking to, well, it's not Thoris in the books. It's actually Tom Seven Strings, is that yeah. Anyway, Thomas Evans, yeah. Yeah, Tom, he's talking to the innkeeper about three the three horses the innkeeper sold to three strangers, including um, a big woman dressed like a man and one in chains. Um, and they talk about how the plan was for Tom and his gang to then go chase down Jamie and Brienne and get the horses back. Anyway, I thought that was a neat little hmm. connection. You don't obviously see it in the show. You know, they went <laughs> for the same set of the uh, In at the Crossroads. Yeah, they get a lot of use out of this. Yeah. Um, I really love this scene. I, you know, I have to say, I, I forgot to say it before, but I love the casting of Thoros and Angai. I yes, mean, this, yes. yeah. this was pretty cool to me. Um, I love the interplay between Arya, Hot Pie, and Gendry and these guys. I mean, everything about this is just kind of, it's entertaining. It's fun to watch. You know, I mean, like, there's definitely a little bit of peril here, but you know, it's, it's kind of a, a good time. Yeah. Um, which is something maybe we miss a little bit on the show now. I yeah, I like so. what they did with Thoris because, as I said, Thoris actually isn't in this scene in the books at all. It's um, it's Tom Sevenstrings, who's a singer. Um, they've got Lem, Lem Lemoncloak, um, and Anne guys in it as well. Um, but they've turned Thoris into this kind of Lem Tom amalgam, and I think, as you were saying, Chicky, it works really, really well for the mm-hmm. show. Like he's really entertaining. Is he's fun? Mm-hmm. You could really imagine him being one of Robert Baratheon's drinking buddies. <laughs> like, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. I really missed that. Like, that's a shame. They had so much there. So much was yeah. there they could have worked with. That's a so. Yeah, but it is. had to go well, to Dorn love- with the naked <laughs> boobies. <laughs> I love that Gendry gets a little bit of character development too. You know, we talked a little yep. bit about his history and this is just great. I, I love all this and I love the way that they brought Sander in. I, I thought it worked really. The only minor thing in this scene is like the sword play was a little off to me, but other than that, it works really well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Next scene is Brienne and Jamie. Um, They come to a river. Uh, It's a dilemma. 
bridge, bridge or river crossing. Uh, Jamie is, of course, taunting her. And did you oh, notice- Oh god, you guys, you oh, guys. Does Nikolai Costawaldo ever loved his life more than he does at this moment? <laughs> 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 it's so true. You can hear it, you can actually hear it in his voice. Like, his eyes light up, they're sparkling. <laughs> Hot eyes, motherfucker. Both their eyes are sparkling. <laughs> like, that anime, like, filter on the lens or something. <laughs> oh, God. Do you notice when they get about, like, halfway across the bridge, you hear a bird cry? Somebody spot at them? Because she does choose the bridge. No? Just me? No, I didn't notice. More observant. Uh, Jamie also, um, at this point, takes a seat and refuses to move, and he starts complaining about his shit boots. And Brienne attempts to pull him up. Um, that's when uh, he manages to grab her sword. Brienne draws her second sword, and they duel. And we get those great lines, you know, you move well for a great beast of a woman, and his <laughs> his uh, coaching, don't grimace before you lunge. And... Uh, Calls her good, graceless, but good. As they fight, Jamie is looking tired, and Brienne is not. And uh, she defeats him, just as my man Locke rides up with his men. <laughs> I have like, how <laughs> excited! I was, I was like, oh yeah! I was like, Locke is back! Oh my god, season three is amazing. <laughs> I actually have little hearts drawn around his name right here. <laughs> I loved it. Like, it was more important to you than the Jamie and Brienne. It's just like, hot, 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 hot. <laughs> so I love that they did this sword fight on this bridge. I think it was gorgeous. I mean, I think this is one of the cooler things they've ever done on the show. I mean, the setting and the way that they set it up, everything about it was just really, really good. I mean, like, I have minor quibbles as a book reader, but, I mean, like, as it is on the show, I think it works Yeah, perfect. Yeah, that one angle where they swing around while she, when they first stand against with their arms. It's really well choreographed. I mean, coming off a season where um, some of the fighting didn't work really well, um, it's a really well choreographed scene. The only issue I have with it being on the bridge is that they couldn't get to the part in the books where, you know, Brienne's dunking Jamie under the water. <laughs> I do. I really wish we had. I actually had a note about that. I would have loved to have this seen is that. Isn't this where they come upon them and he claims he's chastising his wife? Or yes. Yes. that I have with this scene because overall I think it's fantastic. Um, there's not so much of the the sexual component in the show scene, which. You know, you kind of understand because that kind of thing, um, with the book, it rests a lot with the dialogue and also Jamie's internal monologue. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they did a relatively good job of giving it that spark, the sexual spark. Well, I can obviously, I was, if you listen on headphones, like I didn't listen on headphones before, but I, with these <laughs> headphones, all his tired grunts and his yeah. sounds of physical exertion are excellent. And like, you know, you could close your eyes and imagine all kinds of things Dude, you know what? After after this aired, I did screen caps of the of the closed captioning for oh this scene. <laughs> and the non-verbals are so sexual. Because <laughs> I had the modern captions as well. There's a lot of heavy breathing. Um, there's a lot of <laughs> so yeah. That's a lot of the. We do see a lot of the text come to life because you know. Think back to the book chapter. There's a lot of uh, 
faster, faster, harder, harder. Um, he's pressing the attack. They're breathing heavily. So that kind of stuff, they really did really well. Um, they could have maybe stuck in a couple of lines. Um, you know, we didn't have the chastising the wife, but we did have that awesome line at the end where Jamie said yeah. that they enjoy a good fight because it gets their juices flowing. <laughs> that line is just as good to me. <laughs> you know what else I loved about this scene is that point when he, he, Jamie looks at Brienne after like lock and his men are riding uh, oh, the, the yeah. farmer when they bring the farmer up and he kind of just gives her that look like I fucking told you it's like such like a married <laughs> couple silent exchange two things about that and that is firstly if he hadn't sat down on the damn bridge they wouldn't be in this predicament <laughs> and secondly I love the fact that he despite the fact that Brienne's you know his enemy and she was beating his ass he immediately steps in front of her when Locke oh, and Ben yeah, arrive yeah. and I thought that gesture was really in line with the spirit of Jamie in the book absolutely I could totally Jamie doing that. <laughs> I mean, you know, the Jamie of the books, this is the guy who risked his life more than once to save Brienne when at that stage they were still very much enemies and he was trying to escape her. So, yeah. I wonder, is that like Nikolai or was that like in the script? Like, I loved yeah. it. However, it it's happened. It's got to like, be a directorial block. It must blocking. have been in the script because yeah. the way that they set them up so that so that Locke and his men backed them over the bridge, you, you, it was very clear the way that it was shot and framed and blocked that yes. suddenly they were a team. Like you just got the sense, okay, they've stopped being combat combatants and now they're a team. So I think, it, I think a lot of it was really deliberate and really well done. I mean, I just, you know, as, as it exists in the show universe, I just don't really have any complaints about this. I think it really um, encapsulates so much of what this moment is in the books for Jamie and Brienne um, in the, in that they go from trying to kill one another to immediately being you know, on the same side. It's perfect. Yeah. Well, that's true. I mean, because from this point on, they really are more of a team than on opposing sides. I mean, we don't really, we don't really see them um, as enemies from this point on in the show, do we? Or in the books for that fact. I mean, what are, what's no. the next scene we have them with? We have uh, Jamie horse. defending Brienne from the rape. Um, and they're on the horse, yeah. Yeah, yeah the horse scene. Yeah. They do yeah. bicker a bit, yeah. but then Brienne... You know what? We're covering another episode, so we're going to stop. to a lot. I know, I know, I know. In, in due time, in due time, my precious. The chemistry of these characters... <laughs> here's the thing. It's like, as a, as a book reader, like... I have issues with the way that they portrayed Jamie and Brienne. I was never fully happy with it, even watching it. But the chemistry of the actors makes it all work. And it makes you even forget that you're not enjoying maybe, you know, I mean, Brienne's characterization is not fabulous here. But, you know, you just forget it. You just don't care because they're so dynamic and fun to watch. And And that's why I'm so hopeful. Yeah, that's why I'm hopeful that, like, it'll be okay in the end. It'll be okay. (laughs) Because they're great. They're great together. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, all right. That brings us to the end of the episode. Um, do you want to do one of those questions? We got time. Sure. Yeah. Pick your favorite. Oh, okay. Um, well, I think we'll go with. Um, <laughs> we got a question in a few days ago asking if Brienne has feelings for Heil. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> I think that was that's a good one to end after we've just had a Jamie and Brienne scene. <laughs> Do you think, okay, so the question is, do you think Brienne has feelings for Heil? I mean, I think you're asking romantic. Romantic feelings? No, No, clearly not. I mean, like, one of the 
last things we see her say to him is that she's going to geld him if he tries to come into her room at night. I mean, like, no. She's just she's playing coy, Chicky. She's playing hot to get. Sure. Yeah, no. No, I, I think she does. Thing, um, you know, I don't think about Ian is she had a connection with Heil back in Renly's in Renly's camp. It was pretty clear that Heil was the one yes. that she kind of formed a, a genuine friendship with. And you know, she was very much in love with Renly at the time. She wasn't interested in Heil romantically, but she thought that they were actually kind of friends. And yeah. so, you know, I think she does have some friendly feelings toward toward him still that kind of revive during their yeah. journey together. I think you're right. I don't think she finds his company unpleasant for the most part. Um but no, she doesn't have romantic feelings for him. She doesn't want him and I don't think she could ever forgive him for his part in the bet regardless. So Yeah, I think some of that stems from her personality. She's just extremely empathetic and I think she can sort of feel you know, I think she can almost feel sorry for anyone. So I think she has a sort of like, mm. you know, she comes Bingo. to sort of you know, yeah, I totally agree with that. I'll, if now, if the question was, does Hyle have romantic feelings for Brienne? Well, I, <laughs> I don't necessarily story. think. Yeah, I mean, I think he's got some. I think he is impressed by her, and I think he respects her. I, I think that the marriage proposals hinge more on what she can His give gain. to him in terms yeah. of. Yeah, yeah. I think there's an ego element of the little proverbial little boy who pulls the little. You know, the girl's pigtails and dunks them in an inkwell, and that's his sign of affection. I I think there's he's got more feelings for her than she has for him. But I, I think there is something possibly yeah. there. I agree. All right, let's uh, go on to the thank yous. We have two. Um, we got a really nice email from Steve, who wrote, Hi there to all the... Cl- Oh, sorry. Hi there to all at Close the Door and Come Here. First, let me say how much I enjoy your podcasts. It's become a weekly ritual for me to get a beer or two in, put my feet up, and enjoy your humorous but often very (laughs) perceptive analysis of both books and shows. Um, He also had a really um, great question in there, which got us thinking. And rather than address it now, um, I think we're planning on um, expanding on it for a future episode. Yeah, I think um, so. Yeah. But we wanted to thank him for sending in the, uh, that, that, that question was really very thought provoking. And fucking depressing, but yeah, we'll, we'll discuss that. Well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, that's, um. That's a great question. Anyway, thanks, Steve. That's a really awesome email. <laughs> it is, it is an awesome email. And then, uh, alias SD6 wrote us and she said, um, I just got caught up with the last six podcast episodes and it was like meeting up with old friends six. listening to you all. Aww. Can you imagine Old binging six fans. episodes in a six row? hours of us like cackling? <laughs> uh, she went on to say, "I'm also very disappointed with how the show has gone, but I'm still hoping for a JB reunion in season six. At least we know that in the books, the last we saw of Jamie and Brienne were of them off running off together." Even though I have lost faith in the show, I'll still listen to the podcast because you ladies are too much fun. Aww. And then, poor Eon during drunk cast. <laughs> she does that to herself. <laughs> and we love her for that. And that is who we had. Thank you, Alias. Thank you so much. Those are both awesome. My favorite part was always about uh, the, the beer drinking while listening to yeah. us. <laughs> I love that. We have to have some form of alcoholic beverage to get through this podcast. <laughs> God knows. 
Okay. Um, so if you'd like to send us a message, um, have a question for us, or if you want to be a guest, even we're always looking for new people to guest with us. You can send us a message at close the door and at gmail.com. You can message us at close the door and come here.tumblr.com. You can follow us on Twitter at door podcast. Please like and review us on iTunes, please. Um, you can also, please, please, please. please. <laughs> but even more please, please, please is support us on Patreon, please, please, please. <laughs> Close the door forward slash patreon.com. Um, you get the episodes like, you know, an hour or two earlier sometimes. Today, <laughs> we're doing, we're running a day Now it's a day. To be fair, yeah, you get them a day earlier if you're a Patreon supporter. Uh, so yeah, thanks panel. That'll bring us to the end. Thank you everybody. Thank you, Clotho, for guesting. Yeah, thanks, Clotho. Oh, thank you. We always love panel on an Chloe's just going to go rewatch that three. fighting scene right now. You know what? I'm going to close my eyes. Just <laughs> <laughs> with the headphones, baby. I need to <laughs> All right. Have a good one, all. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.